You're listening to Do That Well with your hosts, Brenda Brown and Karen Thrall, a podcast about real experiences and how to turn them into life lessons. Unscripted, honest, funny, genuine, and passionate. A series of conversations where we explore every aspect of human interaction and provoke each other to do life well. Today, we're going to talk about something. Something, it's called... uh the imposter syndrome. <laughs> and uh, I I was having, I had a memory when I was little. Um, it was during the track and field excursions. I would go in the backfield and they set up the whole elementary school, all these stations, and you would go and you'd compete. And, um, but the whole thing was to win. And sometimes it was a solo competition and sometimes it was a team competition. You'd get these ribbons. So you'd get a, a bronze, silver, gold, and then the award of excellence ribbon. And they were presented at the end and you'd collect all your ribbons. And it was just amazing. One thing I noticed I did every year was I never wanted the award of excellence ribbon. Never. I wanted the gold and silver. Bronze was okay too, but I didn't want the big one. And I've been thinking on this memory about how I didn't want the ultimate award. And here I am, this little girl, and it was because, as an adult thinking back, it was because I didn't know if I could do it again. I I was afraid that I would give people the wrong impression of me. So if I got place number one, I didn't know if I could place number one all the time. So I prefer to just be number two and number three. So I had this fear of bamboozling or making people think something about me that probably wasn't true. It was, and I had this, in a, as a young girl, this luck. Well, I got it out of luck. And that imposter syndrome was showing itself in this little tiny, little tiny munchkin. And then I was, it, it flipped me over to when I started my business in uh, San Diego and I left everything I knew, all my comfort zone, I went down there. And I remember living the philosophy, fake it till you make it, that I had to give the illusion that I was already successful. And that imposter syndrome, what if they find out, if they ever find out the truth that I am, I'm scraping pennies, I'm on a really tight budget, I don't have a lot of resources, but I couldn't show that. And so I, I was worried what would people think of me if they knew the truth? And it was fine. Like I still woke up and I still went at it. And so these stories are in my head. So I texted you, Brenda, to go thinking it was, hey, let's talk about self-doubt. That was where I was going. How, how do you overcome self-doubt when you, when you don't, you're second guessing yourself. And it was you that went, oh, we're going to do the imposter syndrome. And I went, yes. And you named it. I used a prettier name called self-doubt and we're diving right in because there's so much to talk about, but I'm going to pass it to you, Brenda, because I would love for everyone to hear what does that even mean, an imposter syndrome. Yes, the imposter syndrome. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a thing. So it's definitely, I think we've probably heard that term, imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. I think has been thrown around a lot more in the past few years, but it actually is a concept that goes all the way back to the 1970s um, when some psychologists first coined the term uh, imposter phenomenon. So that's what it Mm. used to be known as. So a little fun fact, a little history for you. But I 
do think it's been gaining a lot of buzzworthiness. Like you hear this idea of imposter syndrome a lot more lately. And in its essence, it's when whether you're an athlete or, you know, an office worker or a scientist or a teacher, it's when you don't feel that you're smart enough or adequate enough or you don't have the skill set to be in that position. And so you feel that you're a fraud. You feel that you're underserving those around you. You're afraid that people are going to find out that you aren't qualified for this role that you're in. And it ha- comes with a lot of doubt and, you know, feelings mm-hmm. of inadequacy. So that's, in a yes. nutshell, what the imposter mm. syndrome is. <laughs> mm. And Karen, you and I were both really interested to find out that once we dug a little bit further into this, there's actually these five different types. Yeah. Five types of imposters, mm-hmm. <laughs> imposter syndromes. We today will go and we're going to talk about those five types, but mm-hmm. so that the audience is on the same page as us. I just want to quickly tell you what those five types are. So the five different types of imposter syndrome are the perfectionist, the expert, the natural genius, the soloist, and the superhuman, superwoman, superman, superhuman. Hmm. So we're going to talk more about what those are, but that is yeah. basically what we're going to cover today. No, no and, small and feat. It was interesting because when you and I were talking about it, we both had a different experience. So, so here's the cool, so for encouragement for everybody, 70% of every professional or everybody who's, do, who's about to uh, pursue an endeavor go, goes through the imposter syndrome once in their lifetime. So you may not be struggling with that right now, the chances of you in your past remembering a time where you felt that fear of being a fraud, that fear of faking it. And some of the symptoms is uh, you'll you'll over plan, over think, over prepare, over research, over. And the other one is you will uh, procrastinate. So you won't actually do anything about it and you procrastinate. So those two are symptoms of the imposter syndrome. And the other thing I want to say is we do at the end want to share some, some ways to overcome it. Definitely. And I also like that just now, Karen, you did mention that, you know, this might be something you experience for a season in your lifetime. Yeah. Maybe it's something you've experienced in the past. Maybe it's something that you're going to experience in the future or you- You could be in it now. But what I think is also interesting is we found that you might not exclusively be experiencing one type of imposter syndrome. So there's these five types and you may even move in and out of the different types depending on the circumstance, the situation, the time in your life. So I think that's an interesting, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, facet of this conversation as well. Right. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I'll start the first one. Um, yes. The natu- okay. The natural genius. The, that I was really drawn to that one for several reasons. Um, the basically imposter syndrome that's labeled natural genius is you naturally pick up skills easily and it's not hard for you to pick up a skill. So when it does get difficult, you begin to second guess yourself. And a lot of times, like even things like if people see a lot of potential in you, 
and they see a lot of potential in you. And because you naturally pick up the skill, what if they find out I'm not educated? What if they find out I don't have full training? I'm going to fail. And it just spirals you into, into a state of shame or embarrassment. A lot of natural genius uh, posture syndrome is embarrassment embarrassment that I'm going to look bad. That's a big one for the natural genius one. Yeah, I think the natural genius one is really interesting because I I know a lot of natural genius <laughs> sort of people and and I've definitely gone through phases in my life where that's been the case for me as well. You know, if I didn't pick something up quickly, then I would mm. just I would just not do it because it made me feel so shameful or so embarrassed that I wasn't able to learn this new skill fast enough that it was like, well, then I'm just not even going to do it at all. So there's that Mm -hmm. procrastination. Yes. (laughs) Right. Yes. Yes. Which is, and actually all of them kind of weave in. So like the perfectionist one weaves into the natural genius too, because you have to have all the answers, but I think we'll get to that one. I won't jump ahead. <laughs> they do though. You're right. They do all really weave in and out of one another. And yeah. I think there's similarities that you can find with all of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely. Well, since we're on the topic, should we talk about perfectionists <laughs> yes, next? Right, right. <laughs> uh, natural segue. <laughs> <laughs> So perfectionists are the type of people that tend to have very high expectations for themselves. Um, They will set really high goals that may not even be attainable for anyone. And they feel immense, you know, self-doubt and worry if they Mm. can't then measure up to those goals that they've set themselves so it's a very internal process, I think, with the perfectionist. It's mm-hmm. like you're setting these goals for yourself. No one else is giving them to you. They're unrealistic. Then you're not meeting the unrealistic goal, and now you feel shameful. Um, so some tips to you that you might be a perfectionist. If you've ever been accused of being a micromanager, if you are somebody that has difficulty delegating tasks because you have wow. this idea that Wow. I just need to do it myself or not, or it's not going to get done the right way. Anybody listening out there that has worked with me knows that I've probably been this person before. Mm. <laughs> I've I definitely can relate to the perfectionist. What is the fear for a perfectionist? Like that where does the imposter syndrome come in that makes them go no what if someone thinks I'm not legitimate, I'm not, you know, I'm a fraud. What what is the fear that they they wrestle with? I think with perfectionists, it's just this idea. It's it's really more internal. I think for them, it's just this idea that they could have done better. So even if they do reach that unobtainable goal, there's still this idea of I could have done better. I should have done more. I should I should have reached further. Mm. So if you think about it in a broad sense, like that mm. is informed from external forces, right? That had to come from external forces at some point, but it's become so internalized that it's really about the struggle against yourself. Do, do will they, um, will a perfectionist feel like, uh, they, they're not going to choose me if I don't, if I don't cross all my T's and dot all my I's, I won't be chosen. Yeah. I do think there's an element of that. Definitely. Mm-hmm. I think there's this 
idea of needing to be better than those around you. But that then starts to encroach on the territory of the superhuman. With that, I will go ahead and talk about the superhuman next, since it is so closely related (laughs) to the perfectionist. Now, this one I actually, as I was reading the descriptions, I did find that I felt the superhuman and the perfectionist are almost the same. So superhumans, they tend to view themselves against other people in their you know, workspace. So whether that's a colleague or again, if you're an athlete, it might be other athletes around you. And then they're always trying to push harder to measure up against those around them. So Mm -hmm. they also have the tendency to set themselves very high goals. And they also are pretty committed to, you know, seeing something all the way through 110% all the time. But the big difference that I found with the superhumans compared to the perfectionist is this idea of whether you're not you're comparing yourself to your own self and goals that you've set for yourself, perfectionist, or with the superhumans oh, when you're comparing right. yourself to those yes. around wow. you, yes. superhumans. So for okay. me, I found that I, I I do feel that these types are very similar, but there's that that idea of this external versus internal validation Hmm. with either of them. Is there any competitiveness in these two groups or is it like, what is the fear that what, what is the uh, fear that causes them to feel like they're imposter? I think for them, the fear really comes from for both of them because they are trying to measure up against such a high you know, Mm -hmm. caliber. And so the fear is that you're just not going to hit that caliber and anything less than that high bar that you've set for yourself is not good enough. I'm totally curious here. So for the super woman, superman, is it, um, they try to protect themselves out of embarrassment or shame? You know, from my understanding, with the superhuman, superwoman, superman, (laughs) <laughs> the the way that they try to um, be validated is more through showing with their actions uh, that right. they're going above and beyond. So an example would be maybe the person that's always staying late at the office every single day, you know, oh, no matter yes. what. Yes. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. Yes. That makes sense. Hmm. Is do you, I wonder with the superhuman, the perfectionist, and I know we're going to get to solutions at the end. Is that you are enough? This and that's a thing I've noticed throughout this whole imposter syndrome is you are enough and you're worthy just the way you are. And that message, and I'm looking forward to us talking about it at the end, but you don't have to put 14 hours in to be chosen to be enough to be worthy of that position. And when they, when they, they work themselves into the ground, cause what if, but what if I miss this, you know, if I don't do it, maybe I'm going to miss this opportunity or if I don't do it, I'm going to let the team down. If I don't do it, you know, so yeah, that's really, thanks for clarifying that. That was really good. Okay. The next one is the expert. And <laughs> the one I thought that this one I thought was really interesting because it's all based on knowledge and information and uh, that, that makes sense. You know, if, and if you look at all of them, they all have a 
they all kind of have a pinpoint in them, a specific. And for experts, knowledge information, um, they're the ones who have the knowledge. They're the ones who are going to speak up. They're the ones that people turn to. So if they don't feel like they have the knowledge information, there's a fear that they won't, again, that um, they'll be overlooked or they won't be enough. Their work won't be enough. So they have to show there's something, there's somebody by having all this information knowledge. And um, so I thought that was really interesting. Um, if somebody is a bit higher expert than them, then they'll rub shoulders with them, glean as much information from them, and then carry on so that they can always be the expert. And it's not because it's it, all of these. I mean, of course, they're all ego based. You know, it's a, at the same time, these that we're talking about imposter syndrome, the fear that if I don't have all the knowledge, then they won't see me. They'll, they'll, they'll think I've, I'm a fraud. The fear the, the, the superman, superwoman, superhuman has, if they don't really push themselves and work those long hours, then what if people think I'm, I'm a fraud? And so they, they do these things, extra things to prove their worth, to prove their value. And, and that's why it's a syndrome. It's an imposter syndrome because we actually don't have to do any of that. Definitely. And I know that we'll we'll get to this in a moment as well. <laughs> <laughs> but as you said, there you know with all of them there's a through line and they they all do stem from I think the same fear ultimately, but it's interesting to see the different ways that you know it manifests itself in individuals depending on mm. the circumstance or mm. who they are. Yeah. Shall we wrap it up? Shall I tell the audience about the last the last type, the soloist? Yes. <laughs> so the soloist, um, also kind of similar to the perfectionist in in some ways. Again, they they all have some overlap, right? Yeah. Um, but the soloist is the kind of person that feels that they need to do everything themselves, and they can't ask for help. So similar to the perfectionist in the sense that they might have this, you know, idea in their head that they need to get everything done themselves because it's going to get done the right way. But I think the mm -hmm. difference is that with the soloist, there's this extra layer of, and I do not want help. I am going to work autonomously. I'm an individual. Okay. I am not mm -hmm. going to get help from anybody else. Like, this is my own thing mm -hmm. to own and do. Mm -hmm. um, so... I think the the big one to know if you happen to err more in this side of things is do you tend to think you don't need help or that you don't mm. want to ask for people's help? Mm. And mm. I think, you know, similar to the expert, <laughs> it's this idea of they want to be perceived as the person that has all of the information yeah. and it's too vulnerable or it shows weakness to ask for help from those outside of themselves because they should have all the answers and they should be confident and capable enough to do it on mm. their own. So mm. if they're if they're going outside of that independence, then now there's these feelings of shame or embarrassment because you have to ask for external help. Uh, curious, um, do soloists have a hard time when they're on vacation to not be reached? Like, do they feel like if I go on vacation for two, three weeks and I tell, tell everybody only contact me for emergency reason, I want to disconnect. Is there a fear that 
what if they can do it without me? So this thing of independence, I work independently uh, because they need me and I want to show my value. I, I want to be able to, to do it myself so they can see I'm competent. Would they be afraid to go on vacation and just shut it off? Because what that means we could do it without you while you were gone. I wonder if that would be a struggle for soloists. I think so. I would imagine so. Mm. When you say that, it makes me think of, you know, have you had that coworker or have you known that person before that if they're going on vacation, they leave very intense notes for you? Like, this is exactly what you need to do. This is the days that I need it to get it done. And they might even check in while they're on vacation. You might get that email from them like, hey, did you submit that paperwork? Or, hey, did you do that thing? Because they – because they had this ownership in the process, I think mm-hmm. it's really hard for them to let go of that. So even if they've wow. tried to delegate or pass it off to someone else, they're still trying to be the one that's, you know, on top of that. Mm. Oh, this is so good. Um, I, I, I have a thought I wanted to throw in here so I don't forget it. Um, th- this is where when you are hired, um, you're chosen because they like you. Your skill is fulfilling a job description, but you're chosen because they chose you. They like you. So when you go on vacation and you don't leave a list and you come back, we missed you. It was so hard. And this appreciation for all you do, that confidence. And I know where you get into that level of confidence that, again, I am enough. I, I don't have to do all these extra things to show that I'm worthy or I have worth here. It's such an interesting phenomenon. And before we get into solutions, I do just want to reiterate because I think it's so important that, again, these are all connected. So you may experience a little bit of column A, column B. You might feel very firmly rooted in one. Um, But again, the through line with all of them is this idea that you have feelings of shame, embarrassment, and incompetence. Mm -hmm. And and generally just you feel like a fraud. And so Mm -hmm. I think, you know, that's just something that is important to highlight that that if you're feeling any of those feelings, shame, embarrassment, incompetent, feeling like a fraud, you might be experiencing imposter syndrome. And I'm going to lead us into what we're going to talk about next because I think I've probably gone through all five of these mm-hmm. types of imposter mm-hmm. syndrome as we were getting our podcast together. I definitely felt like I was being a perfectionist at some point. At one point, I was like, how come I'm not learning how to edit things fast enough? You know, that's the natural <gasps> wow. genius. Yes. At, at one point, wow. I was probably being the soloist. Like, okay, Karen, I don't need your help. I've got all of this. And then you had to be like, Brenda, you need help. Let me help you. <laughs> you know, and so – you can see how it can be so easy to feel all of these different ways, even in a really short amount of time. Mm -hmm. But what's cool is that you can work through it because with Mm -hmm. our podcast, we just had to persevere. We, you know, and and we had each other. So we were able Mm -hmm. to talk to each other, bounce Mm -hmm. ideas off somebody. (laughs) I was able to come to you and be like, Karen, I feel like I can't let go of this thing. And then you would help me be like, okay, just just let go of that thing that you're being a perfectionist mm. about, you know? So, <laughs> so I think the, the podcast has been a good testament to how there are ways to work through these feelings of inadequacy. Um, and now we can jump in and talk about what, what those are. <laughs> um, okay. So solutions. Um, one that you brought up, maybe we'll start the one you brought up. Cause I, 
I think it's one of my favorites, is the reframe that you suggested would be a good solution. Do you want to do you want to kind of tackle that one? Sure, sure. Idea? Okay. <laughs> um, so reframe. I mean, I think this one is the one that we'll probably hear the most like, oh, that sounds easy, but it's not from. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because reframing, so there's just this idea that if you're having negative thoughts, is there a way that you can reframe them so that you can get a, you know, take something good away from it? So it, it doesn't have to be as simple as like, oh, I'm just going to tell myself that this is no longer negative and now it's a happy thing that's happening in my life. But it's just actually finding a different way to look at the situation. So my example for you okay. is I'm an empath, like such an such an empath. And when I was younger throughout my life, being such an empath, I was always taking on other people's feelings and emotions. And oftentimes that led to me feeling really sad or mm. depressed about life. But it was actually other people's feelings that I was taking on as my own. Mm. And at a certain point in my life, even though – you know, I was having negative emotions from being an empath. At a certain point in my life, I decided to relook at the way that I view that. So rather than I'm an empath, so I'm always sad because I'm taking on people's emotions, it became I'm an empath, which lets me experience life to the fullest. I'm experiencing all of the emotions, all the highs, all the lows, everything in between. So Mm. my empathy is a gift to me to be able to experience life fully. Wow, wow rather than my empathy is something that leads to me always feeling sad and not having boundaries, et cetera, et cetera. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's that thing where um, you're accepting, which is a form of reframing, is is the acceptance. I think uh, we may not know it's imposter syndrome, but we know something's out of sort. Something's not quite right. So for me, relationally, I'll try too hard. Or I'll want to fit in. And I, but the acceptance that that is very real, what I'm experiencing. So, how can I turn that around? Well, one, I just need to accept that that's what's really going on and stop pretending it's not. And I, then I can confide in you or I can confide in somebody else. I can say, hey, this is really what's going on if I was really honest. <laughs> so, this thing of, and of, of talking to your friends and hearing that, they're going to help you get more rational in your thinking, which leads me to two things. One is, as we were studying this, getting being uncomfortable in a situation is perfectly fine. When you are uncomfortable, so you're in a meeting and you don't have the answer and you feel really uncomfortable about that, it's okay to say, I don't have the answer and I'm uncomfortable with that. I like having the answers. It's okay to say that. It's okay when I, you know, the natural genius and you naturally pick things up. And but if people find out that you weren't schooled or you weren't educated um, and then you start doing this ego self-apology and it's okay that you're uncomfortable, that you got as far as you did without having to go to school or without having to do whatever you had to do. And really, Marshall Goldsmith was the one who confronted me on that when I met him for the first time. He's a huge business coach. He's internationally known, and he called me on it because I apologize. I was in a room with a whole bunch of high achievers, a whole bunch of letters at the end of their name, and I started apologizing that I wasn't, 
I wasn't like them. And that was a imposter syndrome. In that moment, I thought I don't belong here. Mm-hmm. So, so this thing, it's okay to be uncomfortable and to speak out the uncomfortable. And the thing is, it's okay to have high standards for yourself, but it's not going to jeopardize your future, your success. Like it's that you are not putting yourself in jeopardy because you may have to take a little longer to learn something or because it's not going to be a hundred percent or because you're not going to put 14 hours in or because you're going to have to rely on someone else for their help or you're not the one who has all the knowledge. It's not, it's not going to jeopardize your path. It's very inclusive. The more we show our true colors, the more inclusive we are. As always, we have so much more that we would love to say and we would love to continue this conversation, but we have 30 minutes, so (laughs) we are at the end of our time. Uh, What are your last thoughts for this episode, Mm. Karen? Do you have any closing parting thoughts for us? I've been saying it. Um, The message is you are enough. You are chosen. You're chosen in your community. You're chosen in your friends. Um, You're chosen at your work. And you, the person, the human, is who they want to partner with. Yes, your talent is important. Yes, your skills are important. But most importantly is they want that relational connection with you way more than the talent you give. And I think that just to remind us all that we are enough, just the way we are, all in all our flaws and all our mistakes and all our quirkiness, it's still is it's still the, the perfect, the perfect formula. Oh, this adventure, this journey called life. Well, yes. This has been a fun episode. Thank you, Karen. And thank, thank you, you all Brenda. for listening today. We will see you again virtually next week on Do That Well. <laughs>